0: Hi, I'm John Frunjan, Executive Director of the William J. Hughes Center for Public Policy at Stockton University, speaking with Carl Golden. Carl has been involved in New Jersey politics and elections for over 50 years. A one-time newspaper reporter, he has been spokesman for the State Assembly Republicans, for Governors Tom Kane and Christy Whitman, and for the State Supreme Court and Chief Justice Robert Wilentz. Since 2010, Carl, who's been a senior contributing analyst for the Hughes Center, writing political analysis that is published in New Jersey newspapers and outlets across the country and even internationally. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, John. Good to be here. Carl, can you recall a situation similar to what we're experiencing? I mean, we're in the middle of a major election for president and Congress, and the campaign is almost an afterthought. Um, all anyone can focus on is the coronavirus. What do you, what do you make of it? Well, we're in, a, in an
1: environment that none of us has ever been in before. The country has never been in before. Uh, and it, it, a lot of us are sort of feeling our way around, trying to figure out how to deal with all of this. Uh, traditional campaigning, it has virtually disappeared. Uh, though there are none, none of the things that you and I are, are used to uh, through the summer months, uh, the, the parades and the picnics and uh, the fundraising events and the cocktail parties and all of the rest, uh, just mm-hmm. simply aren't, aren't happening. And unfortunately, we have no idea when perhaps they could resume. Uh, it's very, very difficult, uh, particularly in a primary that we've got in a number of congressional districts around right. uh, to to break through and get people interested you're, it's almost like going back to the old days when working in campaigns, you wrote a press release and if you got to publish somewhere, you had done your job for the day. Uh, mm. the, the, everything is just so it's been so upended, uh, that, uh, it, it's very, very difficult to try to get any sort of handle on, on where to go almost on a day-to-day basis. Virtual campaigning is fine, but it, you know, you, politics is a is a people-to-people interaction business it always has been and always will be Mm -hmm. and uh that's that's lost and at least for the the moment and we just don't know when we're going to get it back uh we don't even know if we're going to be able to go to the polls to vote or whether it's all going to be vote by mail uh which has its own issues trying to pull that off uh so, no, I, to answer your question, sure, I, I, I've never been in a situation like this before. And I have a great deal of empathy for the candidates and their staffs or campaign staffs trying to work their way through this and feeling their way around, trying to raise money, trying to figure out whether or not uh, we should campaign on TV ads, uh, which raises another question of the expense involved. It's uh, mm-hmm. just so much that that's these uh, campaigns uh, have been burdened by by this, and they can't even get press attention because uh, it's it's the pandemic. I understand the coverage of the pandemic, obviously, um, and their attention being, the, the media's attention being on that, uh, but it, it's just a very, very difficult situation.
0: So is it fair to say the traditional campaign playbook is completely useless now? Well, Well,
1: aside from some elements of fundraising, I mean, virtual, not virtual, but online fundraising has become become pretty common. You can still do that, obviously. Uh, But it's the the door-to-door stuff, the uh, voter registration signups, voter registration drives, uh, the personal visits to uh, whether they're uh, uh, senior citizen housing developments, uh, whatever they happen to be. the, the personal interaction is missing. And that takes something away from the campaigns, it takes a bit of the excitement away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't see pictures anymore of the, the rope lines at the uh, airport tarmacs with everyone's hand stretched out to shake the candidate's hand and all that. That's all gone. And even the Democratic National Convention, you're talking about doing a virtual convention. Mm. Uh, we have never been there before. Right. You know, that's when you spend. 30,000 people jammed into an arena somewhere and for four days telling the country via TV how great a president their candidate's going to be. They're going to be able to do
0: that either. Right. How do you feel the presidential candidates are adapting or, or not adapting? Are they are they adapting effectively to this new reality or are they as confused as all of us?
1: Well, I, th- I think, well, I don't want to call President Trump confused. He's back, to, he's apt to be watching this or listening to this and get back at me. Tell me I'm you a know, bad person dealing in fake news or something. But he doesn't have to adapt a great deal. He's got the biggest bully pulpit, the biggest megaphone in the world. Uh, so it, it's, I think, hurting Vice President Biden. I know he's not the candidate yet, but officially, but he is. Uh, it's hurting him because. You know, he's stuck in a basement in his house in Wilmington, mm-hmm. in the sort of makeshift TV studio, trying to get the message out. Uh, and if there ever was a candidate who thrived on the person-to-person personal interaction, it's Joe Biden. Uh, he, he's, he's always been that way. So it, it's, it's hurting him uh, to, to an extent, at least compared to President Trump and whatever you might think about the president. And, and the things that he says and the things that he does and all of the rest. Yeah, uh, right. you know, the media can't ignore him. They, they don't want to carry his briefings because they think they're all propaganda. And A certain certain amount of it certainly is. Uh, but they're, they're kind of stuck. They can't ignore him. Uh, he is the president. He's in the midst of the worst public health crisis in a century. Uh, they can't just say, well, we're not, we're, we're not going to cover you because we don't like
0: what you say. Right. You talk about the Democratic Convention. If they if they can't hold that um, live in person, uh, that that's a real serious blow to Joe Biden's campaign, and that's when people really start paying attention. Well, it is. Plus the fact,
1: uh, you know, there's a certain enthusiasm gap with respect to, to, to Joe Biden uh, that uh, the the Democratic Party is still somewhat. Splintered, fractured, uh, coming off in of their primary, and there are a lot of uh, people who, you know, who felt the burn four years ago and felt it again this year, who are very unhappy, and uh, attempting to presumably use their leverage to force Joe Biden to take positions more in line with uh, with their agenda, the so-called progressive agenda, the Bernie Sanders agenda. So he has that to deal with on top of everything else. Uh, and and you're right that that, that convention it gives you enthusiasm, gives you enthusiasm gives you momentum coming out of it, and he's going to be missing that. So I think he's uh, he's going to suffer a little more than uh, than the president is. The president can still go get on Air Force One with a bunch of Secret Service guys and fly wherever he wants to in a country and hold a rally. Biden can't do that. That's like a. A
0: four-day infomercial that he's not going to get.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is where, you, I mean, I've been to uh, half a dozen, I guess, Republican conventions. And uh, all they are, as you say, is four-day infomercials where everybody who gets the microphone tells the world how wonderful their candidate is and how wonderful a president they're going to be and how the incumbent president has messed up the country and has no future and has no vision but, boy, you elect our guy and everything's going to come up roses. And, uh, you know, you put that on the tube every night, afternoon, evening, for four straight days in July or August. Uh, you know, that, that's, a big, that's, that's a big hit to take, not being able to do that.
0: Right. So Closer to home, how do you assess the political situation and climate here in New Jersey? And how's Governor Phil Murphy doing? Well according to the
1: poll, I came out this morning. he's doing really well. Uh, he's at seventy one percent i think approval uh up from forty one percent three or four months ago i guess so but that you know that that doesn't surprise me in a sense because in in situations like this or I realize this public health crisis we haven't been through before, but in in emergencies and disasters, whether they're natural or man- made. Uh, there was a very natural tendency to rally behind the leadership. Uh, at the same time, the leadership has to rise to that occasion and perform. And Phil Murphy, uh, and I've written this a number of occasions, has done that. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by the way he's responded. I'm impressed by the way he's reacted. Uh, I'm impressed by his, his straightforwardness, his candor. Uh, he, he, when he has his briefings, he gives the information to people without um, trying to, you know, present it in a way that differs from reality, and people respond to that. And people react to that, and I think he's done very. I think he's done very well. As has the commissioner of health, Judy Persichelli. I think he's been just a tremendous, tremendous asset to the governor. Uh, as has uh, Superintendent Pat Callahan, State Police. Uh, they've been they've been tremendous. But uh, Murphy, uh, despite the fact he's getting a little grief now about we shouldn't have closed the state parks and we have to reopen the boardwalks and and all the rest, uh, he's he's made it clear for a guy who's somewhat understated, he's, uh, I think, getting a little bit edgy here with some of his responses and telling people, essentially, it's almost like telling your your five-year-old son to behave himself, you know. That you have, this is what you have to do. And there is, there is no choice. And I'm doing this on the best advice of uh, healthcare professionals, the best medical advice I can get, the best science that's available. And this is the, these are the reasons for my decision. And I, I think he should be commended for that. I think he's done a
0: tremendous job. Now, at the same time, New Jersey's economy and state budget are being decimated with everyone in lockdown, as are uh, the budgets in many states. What kind of political choices do the state's leaders have to face? Well, the Murphy
1: administration was apparently at some point toying with the idea of floating some bonds. I'm not exactly sure how that would all work. Uh, but he was talking about $49 billion, I think, the, the number I saw, in bonds just to operate for the next however long this is going to take. Uh, that's going to meet with a lot of resistance in the legislature. You know, a $9 billion bond issue is, mm. uh, is pretty substantial. Uh-huh. But the uh, initial reports were that uh, those bonds would be retired through either an increase in the state sales tax, or passing it through to an increase in property taxes—that's not a popular position to be in. No. Uh, where unemployment is where it is, and uh, this tremendous uncertainty about when uh, businesses are going to reopen and people can get back to work. Uh, talking about a nine billion dollar debt uh, and pay back through taxes is not not a good place to be. Um, so I don't know. He has said Murphy has said that. Uh, lacking something like that, perhaps not as great, but lacking something along those lines, you're looking at substantial, substantial layoffs of state employees, public employees at the county level, municipal level, or very, very deep spending reductions in ongoing programs. Uh, whether And mostly that's going to come out to state aid. Hey, that's a huge chunk of the budget, as you know. Right. And, State aid to municipalities, state aid to school districts. If they're cut, the only place to go to make up the difference is a local property tax. Mm. That, that's not exactly a great place to be either.
0: No, uh, there are consequences to whichever route you take, and, and none of them are really good. No, there are no, you know, there are just no good options
1: here. It, it's a question of sitting down with a list of them and trying to settle on and gather unanimous, if you could, support
0: for the least bad option. Right. Um, Well, shifting gears a little, you mentioned uh, we have a lot of congressional races this year, and New Jersey has several freshman members out for their first re-election try. Uh, Let's look at the second district in South Jersey, where Jeff Van Drew switched from Democrat to Republican and won Donald Trump's endorsement. There's a Democratic primary fight there between Montclair Professor Bridget Harrison and Amy Kennedy, wife of former Congressman Patrick Kennedy. Any thoughts on how that race is going? I think that Van
1: Drew is going to be a very formidable candidate, uh, despite the fact that people are upset about his party switch. But I think he's going to be very formidable. He's he's well known, obviously. Uh, He's raised... uh, Pretty substantial sum of money, at least the last the report that I saw. Right. Uh, so it it's going to be uh, it is not going to be easy to to oust him. Uh, the Democratic primary is. I realize there are what four or five people in it, but it really is a two person race between uh, Bridget Harrison and and Amy Kennedy, and both have raised a good sum of money. Uh, and it's going to, like most primaries, uh, eventually rely on. Your foot soldiers, the people on the ground, and money. And because of the pandemic and, and, and the, uh, the fallout from that, uh, I don't know whether there are going to be enough foot soldiers out there or even going to be able to get out there for it. They're going to be able to raise money. The question then becomes where do you spend it? Presumably, they're going to turn to direct mail uh, and I guess, presumably, some TV ads. But organization is very, very crucial in primaries. And primaries are organization elections. They're not general elections. They're party elections. Right. And uh, the organization is uh, is extremely important. I know uh, Bridget Harrison has a support, I believe, county chairman in, in, in six six of the counties yeah. uh, down there. Uh, Laney County is for Amy Kennedy. And Ocean, I guess, is staying neutral. So. Uh, the organization in those counties, uh, uh, it's it, a lot of the burden is going to fall on them to be able to deliver for, uh, for their chosen candidate, and whether they can deliver the way they the way they're capable of or the way they have in the past, in the light of the personal restrictions and the movement restrictions caused by
0: the pandemic, and I think it's very problematic. Yeah, I, I agree. The um... The organizational strength is very important. Um, Amy Kennedy, I believe, has more money on hand than Bridget Harrison, um, but Dr. Harrison has the organizational strength in many of the counties. What, what do you think of this thought, um, that the, the money that the Kennedy campaign has might be of um, more importance if this turns out to be somewhat of a wave election year and Democrats are going to come out to vote their anti-Trump feelings any chance they get. In that kind of situation, do you see non-casual primary voters coming out who, who wouldn't normally come out for a primary, uh, maybe affecting results?
1: It, that, that could be. Uh, I, I think sort of the, one of the wild cards here is, how is this going to play out? Uh, are we going to be sitting on our kitchen tables, filling in our ballot and getting into the mailbox? Uh, or are we going to be able to go to the polls and, and, and go cast a vote?
0: Right.
1: The, the vote by mail system. I realize it has its detractors. That's uh, you know open to fraud, and whatever. Um, well, a lot of that evidence seems to be anecdotal, but still, uh, there is that concern. There's a uh, an expense involved, um, and there's also uh, a fear that uh, the, the turnout in vote by mail won't be as great as the personal turnout that mm-hmm. people particularly are preoccupied with all these other issues uh, are going to overlook their vote by mail ballot so oh, I'll get to it later I'll get to it later and one day it's the day after the election and you haven't gotten to it so uh, if it comes down to that that is is going to be a, a major factor in how it goes mm-hmm. uh, but also plays to the importance of organization. Because organization, uh a strong organization is going to be able to put together uh a pretty substantial, pretty pretty strong vote by mail program. And mm-hmm. right? they are going to make sure their people, their county committee people, uh get the, you know, get their neighborhoods out and, and whatever. It's gonna take the place of the door to door campaigning that we're used to. So mm-hmm. uh organization again i don't mean to coming back to that but it is so crucial uh that uh, i th- i think that will be uh, that will be a very very strong element here uh perhaps the equal of money in in normal and normal times uh-huh. you know money is just as important uh if not more so but uh this time i think
0: organization is going to trump money a little bit mhm um, do you have any thoughts about other congressional races around New Jersey? Um, any trends you see? Uh, I, you know, there aren't, as you know, very many of the
1: of the district congressional districts that are competitive. The mm-hmm. second is going to be the third district, the the uh, Burlington Ocean district, which is a, a pretty a uh, pretty fierce Republican primary going on, uh, and uh, the seventh district up in. Uh, Union Somerset County area with Tom Kane Jr. and uh, uh, running against uh, uh, Congressman Malinowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those three are the ones to look at. And uh, the the second district, or, I'm sorry, the third district, the Burlington Ocean District, uh, is is going to be really interesting because you have a person who you will know, Van Drew switch parties, but Dave Richter switch counties. Uh, you know, and uh, I think you may have built up a little resentment on the part of people who you know you come riding in here at the last moment you you're shopping around for a district to run in, but uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's got a fair sum of money, personal as well as some organization money, and uh, that's going to be an interesting race to watch, but Andy Kim has also raised a substantial sum of money more than the other two at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, while he has been widely viewed as one of the vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable of the freshmen. I think he's he's going to be a very formidable candidate. Uh, he defeated Tom MacArthur two years ago, right? Uh, despite the fact of being outspent by a huge amount of money, um, and the Trump factor is going to play a role down here mm-hmm. in, in that district, and I. Uh, so Regardless of who wins that Republican primary, Kate Gibbs from Burlington or David Richter, uh, is going to have his or her hands full with Andy Kim. I think Andy Kim is, is well positioned. Uh, he's he's done, done well by his district. And I think he's well positioned to, to survive this. Um, Tom Kane Jr. up in the 7th District benefits a great deal, obviously, from name recognition. Doesn't have to spend a lot of money going out and getting people to know the name. Uh, and uh, he, he, I think, has has a chance at this, but so much is going to depend on whether or not there's a strong anti-Trump feeling. Malinowski has been extremely critical of the president on a whole lot of issues <laughs> and has uh, pretty much staked his, his re-election campaign on a, uh, you know, I will oppose Donald Trump in Congress platform. And uh, it, it a lot depends on whether or not Tom Kane Jr. is going to be able to overcome that without distancing himself too much from President Trump. I think he's got to step away from him a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, if he distances, tries to distance himself too much, he's going to lose some of the Republican support up
0: there. So he's, he's, got, to, he's got to thread this needle and it's not going to be easy. Mm, interesting. So here's my last question. With the presidential election going on, all the COVID-19 coverage, uh, how hard is it for congressional campaigns to even break through all the noise? Um, Is anyone going to even pay attention at the congressional level?
1: I'm tempted to say no, they won't. Uh, (laughs) I think there will be, uh, obviously there'll be some interest uh, and people paying attention, but uh, in any presidential year, It doesn't matter who the candidates are. Uh, That shadow of the president over, you know, just throws everybody else in the shade. It's always been that way. I think it's going to be more so this year because we have, you know, probably the most unorthodox candidate and probably the most unorthodox president the country has ever seen, and uh, uh, his his style, his rhetoric. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like he stands up at his rallies and says, No, your attention, please. I'm about to perpetrate the following outrage. And, uh, <laughs> and then he goes ahead and does it. And so, uh, and it's going to overshadow everything. I think you're going to be very, the, the congressional elections are going to be very local elections, uh, local organizations and very local elections. And, uh, in a lot of cases, in fact, in all cases, the down ballot impact of Trump or Biden, wherever you happen to be, is is going to be fairly significant because that's where all the attention is. That's where people are, are looking. Uh, they're more focused now uh, at, at the presidential level because of the pandemic. Uh, who can deal with this better? And I don't know whether we're going to be back to any sense of normalcy by November, John. I don't. I don't know if anybody knows at this point, uh, at, at all. But uh, if if we are, particularly if people can get out and go and vote in person, and not have to worry about you know getting their ballot in the mail in time, uh, I, I think that will be good for the good for the democracy. Frankly, uh, you know, I'm a person who has, has always gone and and voted and voted personally Past couple years i haven't for other reasons but uh i like to tell people you know you know i'm the only person i know who voted for richard nixon three times 1960 the first year i was eligible 68 and 72 and i tell that to friends and the first thing they do is run screaming from the room but uh uh it's just to me the ultimate exercise uh that that uh, it makes our, our country really that unique is the ability to go and change governments by going down to your local school auditorium or school gymnasium and casting your ballot. And I think far too many people overlooked that, and uh, and that's sort of troubling a little bit. So maybe this this year, with the pandemic and with everything else going on, people will go back and sort of reassess their. Uh, their their responsibilities in, dem- in a democracy, and nice. we'll see, see it change. But uh, I know I, for one, I'm going to vote whether it's by mail or in person, but, and I just hope that, that the predictions of low voter turnout don't come to
0: pass, and there's just too much at stake. Well, let's hope we're in a good place when uh, election time rolls around. I well, really appreciate you sharing your insights. Um, always a pleasure to speak with you and uh, thank you for talking with us today. John, my pleasure. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks.